Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. I'm your host. Never know what can happen. I did not hear that intro. So um, if so, if you guys all heard it, awesome. I didn't hear it. But that's okay, because guess what? It is In the Trenches time. And if you are listening to us on an audio broadcast, thank you so much. Um, we do appreciate that. But we want you here in our YouTube official channel. That's the live YouTube official channel at Ryan Roxy. And uh, we have a live chat going on right now because uh, that's what we do. That's what we do here in the trenches. You're in the trenches. You're in the chat. Um, I'm going to let people file in right now. I uh, hope everyone's doing okay. Um Thoughts and prayers go out to Meatloaf. I, that was the news that we woke up with today. So, um, you know, great guy. Um, we had lots of interaction with him. As you know, being in the Alice Cooper band, he was a Phoenix guy for a long time as well. So, um, yeah, prayers out to his family and uh, thinking good thoughts for Meatloaf. Uh, iconic artist, no doubt about it. So. Here we go. You ready to dive in the trenches with me today? Um, this is one of those episodes, I'm telling you, folks, um, for a guy like me. It spent a good amount of my uh, childhood staring and studying album covers. Having a guest on like today is a very special treat because that guest designed many of those album covers, said album covers I would stare and study at, uh, doing my homework at, just dreaming of, you know, maybe someday becoming uh, those people on my favorite albums. So today's guest... I like to refer to him as the king of album artwork. And here to talk about such iconic bands as Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, the Rolling Stones, and so much more. Let's welcome into the trenches, Ernie Sheffaloo. Hello, Ernie. Hey, Ryan. How are you? Hey, man, Thank you. It's great being in the trenches with you, man. I spent yeah. a lot of my career in the trenches as well. <laughs> I know you did. And yes, we're going to talk right about it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to definitely talk about it. you're you're looking much more rock than i am today I, of yeah. course i've got the new york shirt on but nothing you can never go wrong with skulls right yeah well you know this is uh lansky brothers the guy who clothed elvis uh i when i had a show in memphis I had a few shows in memphis and uh the guy that was responsible for for bringing me there with the artwork uh was good friends with lansky brothers and we went there and they gave me this shirt, which is really awesome. And, and there are all these guitars. I mean, it's amazing. And he, his dad, clothed Elvis, got, got him to wear pink, got him to put the collar up. I mean, just the whole look. So, yeah, I Two minutes it in, baby. Two minutes in, and we're dropping names. We're dropping Lansky <laughs> yeah, Brothers. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. That's what we want. We well, want those name drops all over because this whole episode is going to be peppered with uh, iconic artists that uh, you have designed album covers for, which has in turn made you an iconic designer. You know, I don't know about iconic. It, it makes me feel like a dinosaur, <laughs> you know, but but I have been around and, and I've experienced a lot of things and you know, it's really funny because rock and roll, I always loved it in high school and college. And, you know, 
and I went to art school and right there in Oakland with uh, right near, uh, you know, UCLA. And it was just awesome. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, when I graduated college, I wanted to go to Madison Avenue and work in an ad agency and be the ad guy. And, uh, you know, I did that. And all of a sudden, out of left field, which I'm sure you'll agree, it happens in your career. You're focusing on one thing and all of a sudden an opportunity comes along and, you know, you didn't expect it at all. And that's what happened with the Jesus Christ Superstar album. I was working on Madison Avenue and the agency had Decca Records and it was an amazing experience. And then, you know, that thing led to so many other things, to a career of just rock and roll and music. Well I like the fact that, we, you know what, you're leading me down this road. But before we get on that road, I have to go back to get forward because that's how we get on the road in the trenches. Because he, we, here we are with Ernie Sheffaloo, and we're going to talk a little bit about the early days and then what got you into the trenches. Okay. There you go. Yeah, going back to get forward, that's for sure. That's what we have to do. And and like you said, you never know when that turn or that opportunity is going to come. And yeah. and it could come in, in some strange ways. And we were talking right before the podcast started. Is we have one very, very special bond uh, in the name of Alice Cooper because he was my sort of left-hand turn. Like a lot of people ask me when I first joined the band, what are you doing playing with Alice? He's a dinosaur, right? They use that yeah. word, but I've <laughs> learned to embrace that because you know what? The dinosaurs lived a hell of a lot longer than I feel our <laughs> civilization is going to. That's true. And the dinosaurs, I've learned to embrace a lot of those terms because now that I'm, you know, been in the trenches and been around for a, a bunch many years i used to be called a poser all growing up and now i can tell people you know what i embrace that i am a poser but i'm a professional pro poser yeah <laughs> and you're great at what you do you know and and like you you know i never gave up you know i i had a dream i followed it and all of a sudden i'm in the i'm in the moment with my dream and all of a sudden this other thing comes along and it was like it was like a rocket you know, it just like exploded and I found myself, I mean, I went from doing advertising, selling people stuff they didn't really need to getting into something I really loved, which was music. You know, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that early dream and where, because that's another similarity that we both have, because that dream began uh, in Northern California. You, we both grew up in Northern California. You get, grew up in the San Jose area, but I, I know that you cut your teeth. Um, in art school, right? But even before that, you <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's going way back to get forward. Yeah, that's, that's, that's too far back, man. That's when the dinosaurs were on the earth. <laughs> if you notice, I'm looking off because there's a Tyrannosaurus right to the left of me. Or maybe you're you're dreaming of, of designing some sort of album cover. When was it that uh you knew that you could draw, you could design, you could come up with uh, text. When did that sort of bug hit you in life? Well, you know, I, as a, as a young kid, you know, uh, in the 50s, I mean, I used to look forward to Sundays because we'd get the Sunday paper and would have the comic strips. And I would spend all day just drawing Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and, you know, all these great cartoon characters. And, you know, I got better and better at it. And I actually wanted to be an animator at one point. And then I realized later on in life, how Disney didn't really pay a lot of people very good money. So I got into advertising, you know, 
and uh, in art school. And I, I kind of realized it um, after I graduated high school, all the guys that I hung out with, they all had jobs and I didn't really know how to do much of anything, you know? Uh, and so <laughs> I decided that I was going to go in the army and I went in the army for, as a reservist for six months. And that made me really understand that I needed to do something in life more than that was just a wake up call around. for you. Yeah, it or was, it was a, it was a real, you know, stake in the ground. And, you know, I then, so then I decided I wanted to be a carpenter. Like my father was a, a a really amazing carpenter. It was the proudest day of his life when I went down to the carpenters union with him and signed up as a carpenter. And, you know, he introduced me to all his friends that were hanging out there. And then the saddest day in his life was about three months later when I went to him and said, I can't do this. It's too hard, man. I, I, I want to go to art school. So, and I, you know, and so God bless them. You know, my parents were amazing. They supported You wanted me, to pick know. up much lighter pieces of wood, you know, yeah. much, much lighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think he, I, in a way, I think he had me work for a neighbor who was a contractor. And I think that together they really plotted to make it very hard for me because I think he really wanted me to do something other than do what he did. So it was interesting as you look back over the years, you know, I realized that that's kind of what happened. You know, he, he always knew I had a love for art, but I was compromising myself because I needed to do something. I needed to be something. And and when I went to him and said, I can't be a carpenter anymore, you could see the, his face, you know. But right. when I said I want to go to art school, they were 100% behind it. And, you know, that's and great. I, and, and that's a scene where you honed those skills at the yeah. California College of the Arts. Right. And that's where basically a lot of you grinding your teeth, starting in the trenches. And, oh, my God, Vic put up the floor plan yeah. of actual. <laughs> yeah. Campus? It was great because that campus – uh, in, I, I started there in 1964. That campus was an estate that was given to the college by a very rich family. And the, our, we'd, have, uh, we'd have classes in, in carriage houses and in barns. And Treadwell Hall was the main house. And it was, I mean, uh, there was 125 kids, you know, and it's an accredited college. We had uh, my English teacher, Michael McClure, I don't know whether you know who he is, but he was uh, around with Dylan and Fer Ferlin Getty and, and those hippie, uh, uh, not hippie, but uh, beatnik uh, generation. And he was a, a, a very published poet and he was a hell's angel and he used to wear his colors to class and stuff. I mean, it was a great college. It really wow. was. Uh, and, it, you know, it, and again, I, every semester I changed my my uh, major because I would get introduced to, you know, of painting and then I wanted to be a painter. Then I, the next semester I wanted to be a jeweler and then I wanted to th throw pots and be a ceramicist, you know, and then it's cool they about, had all those different types of yeah. art available for you yeah, to, to, sure. to experiment with until you decided eventually, but you, you haven't decided yet because we're going to come back to California a little bit, but the big apples calling your name, right? Yeah. New York is calling Madison Avenue's calling. And then pretty soon, uh, you are actually designing for another type of carpenter. He was a carpenter, Jesus yes. Christ superstar. Yeah. You sort of, that was one of your biggest breaks that happened. Yeah. Or it, when I asked this question, you know, what do you, what do you consider your first big break or gig as, as a designer? Yeah. Would that be it? Or would it be well, something it would, it, uh, if, if we could go backward to go forward, Yep. Right before I did Jesus Christ Superstar, I worked for an agency that had International Paper Company as a client. And they hired me because they needed a, a creative mind to do a national sales meeting. 
So I came up with this idea called Dolls Alive. It was a, like a Rockettes off-Broadway kind of thing with skits and dancers. And, and uh, you know, and we hired uh, Skip to write 10 songs about paper. And, and then we're giving this presentation to 500 salespeople from all over the country. Um, and so I designed, uh, well, we cut, we cut, uh, did design the posters and all the other teasers and things. And what you're seeing there now is uh, octagon, hexagon album cover uh, that I did for the songs that Skip wrote. And we did 500 albums and gave them to each one of the uh, attendees to the sales meeting. It was also the first use of the Rolling Stones lips. Oh yeah, what I was gonna say is 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 hold on, folks. Vic, if you can go back to that picture, just yeah. be, I'm gonna come back to it in just a little bit, folks. But pay very good attention to those uh, lips in the middle of that album, uh, actual album. What would you call that? The center cut piece. And yeah, it's uh, the label. we, yeah, we will come. We will come back to that in just a little bit. But again, if you are listening to us on an audio broadcast, thank you very much for doing that. But we want you on video because you have to see Ernie Sheffaloo in all his glorious uh, Technicolor right now. He's got <laughs> skulls. Yeah. His skulls and everything. Um, and basically that will be on Ryan Roxy official YouTube. And if this is your first time tuning in, we appreciate that. Just hit that subscribe button right now and you will always uh, have a place here in the trenches with us. So yeah, let's go. So you had this, uh, this type of break. I, I had heard now, let me ask you this. Legend has it. There was quite a competition uh, to, to save Decca Records uh, account yes. uh, when this thing, uh, with this, this sort of project came up with Jesus Christ Superstar. And you have to understand that this is Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's first musical that they've ever done. So they're just starting out. And, I mean, apparently God was on your side that day. Tell yeah. us the story of how that happened. God's been on my side my whole life, Ryan. You know, I, I uh, and well, what happened was uh, I had done that international paper company. That was the first album cover I ever did. So I had a headhunter who was very aggressive and he would place me in, play, in jobs just long enough to not have to give the money back. And then he'd move me to another job. So uh, he, I had done that album cover. It got, a, uh, you know, it got, some good re response from all the attendees and stuff, but he sent me to an agency that needed a creative director. And this was in the New York life building on, uh, on, on Madison Avenue. And I went to the agency and, you know, I was showing the, the president of the agency, my work. And uh, he, you know, he, he started telling me how, you know, the two art directors that worked at his agency were leaving, had left his agency and was taking the Decca Records account with them. Now, they had a lot of other accounts as well, like wearing blenders and mixers and Omega watches. And they had, but Decca Records was like really a cool account for them. So uh, they needed somebody to help. What had happened was the owner of the agency had a good friend that was higher up than the creative director at Decca Records and got them to agree to do a shootout between the two art directors that left and uh audio isn't working on my end is that that's not me is it ryan no no that's all you're oh. you're working fine it's just oh. when they play the ads no that oh, was supposed okay. to be a private chat i'm 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 engaged with your story <laughs> <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden i throw you off base go ahead no Keep no it's okay uh, i just wanted to make sure that i was still okay here no, um, and, and by and the so, way i said fucking audio just so you yeah. know <laughs> So he got the friend of his to agree to a shootout between the two art directors that had left him. And 
whoever he could get. So he needed somebody quick and I was in the right spot at the right time. And, um, so we, we went to, uh, this was on a, this was on a Friday and, um, I didn't really want to work there because it was a very straight agency. Really. I was on the 37th floor of the Madison Avenue of the New York life building looking uptown and it was run like an agency. I mean, it was really, it's kind of scary. And so when they asked me how much money I wanted, the guy liked my work and he asked me how much I, I needed. And I told him $30,000 more than I was making at my last job and said, well, I need at least that or more because, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to move unless I get something like that. So he said, well, you know, it's a little bit more than we want to spend. Uh, and so I left and I was so elated because I, I didn't get the job, you know, but then on the way home, I had to, I started thinking about what I had to tell my wife. <laughs> who had talked to the, the headhunter and they were, how am I going to explain I didn't get the job? So as soon as I showed up at the house, you know, she answered the door and said, you know, Norman Levitt's on the phone. And that was the agency that I had interviewed with. And I got on the phone with him and he said, I talked to my partner. We really need your help. We love your work. Uh, can you come in tomorrow and I'll explain to you what, what's going on. And so I did, you know, I got 30,000 more than I was getting before. And he explained to me about these guys leaving. And, and there was a, a, a briefing that we would have on Monday with the creative director, a guy named Bill Levy at Decca Records, who was in favor of the other two guys. And so we went to this briefing and he told us about it. And Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, right. You know, you're exactly right. Uh, Decca Records was very mm, on the on the fence about doing this album at all because it was very controversial and right. these two guys never really had done anything and it was a double album it was actually three albums can you it imagine telling andrew lloyd weber what have you done yeah oh well, yeah yeah you <laughs> know you especially done? andrew lloyd weber i mean and they were really nice guys and i got to meet them later and that's a different story but so we got the briefing and he and so the creative director said okay when do you want to make a you know, when do you want to make your pitch? He said, the other, uh, other guys had been briefed already a week ago. When do you want to make your pitch? And I said, well, today's Monday. Let's do it on Friday. And I looked at out of the corner of my eye, I looked at my boss and he was cringing. You know, he wanted, it looked like he wanted he to wanted stab to me. You know, yeah. what are you doing? This is an important account to me and you're giving yourself four days. So uh, on the, and in fact, and so they agreed, you know, and I said, because I will, on the, in the cab on the way back, he was saying, why did you do that? Why did you tell him? Why didn't you buy more time? And I said, first of all, they were going to present on Monday. I want to present before them because if I can sit the bar, then they have to raise it. I don't care how much this guy is in love with them. You know, he's an artist. He understands what's good and not. And I, I think I can do this. So to make a long story short, I did a lot of praying, went to a lot of church, uh, you know, looking around in churches there in New York. And uh, I came up with those angels. I actually had done one and then I flipped it. I'm a very symmetrical designer. A lot of stuff that I do is very symmetrical. So I had done one side and I flipped it over and it became like this really cool thing. I put it on the, I comped up the package. We went to the presentation on, on Friday. He really loved it. He was very surprised. And the other guys, if you see that picture on the left, that's what the other guys presented. And ah. so you know, we got, we got the job, we got the account, we kept the account. And, uh, you know, I, I spent probably two or three months just doing all the merchandise, the calendars, the buttons, the disc jockey 45s that went out, you know, I mean, it was really a great experience for me because, you know, Dolls Alive was really something pretty cool, but it was confined. It was just sales guys. 
and right. Dallas, and and it didn't really get out to the public. This was something you guys were on display there. At what's what's the building in New York? That it was hanging in the Union Carbide Building. It won all these awards, and so it hung. It was hanging in the Union Carbide, carbide. Building for but, about but it wasn't. As big, so Jesus Christ makes you a superstar, basically. Right, and yeah. and in a way, that album again, another sort of bond between us because I just said this like last week in a different interview where I was the one on the other side of the mic where I said that they asked me what were the albums that were sort of influencing you at that time, and I said, well, my parents' albums, obviously, uh, the people next door had a, a, some Beatles albums, but my mom in particular loved musicals, so the Hair soundtrack yeah. was a big one that was um, there, but all year round, not just at Christmas time, but even extra double speed at Christmas time, Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack was always playing in my house so i know that album cover if you can put the brown one up uh i know that album cover very very well i love it it was uh it was a really amazing opportunity for me and and i had really formed a bond over those months that we were doing all the merchandise i was able to form form a bond with the creative director who you know really took me under his wing and because i i was a designer you know this headhunter that i had he called me an art director and I'm like, well, wait a minute. You you got to work. You got it's like being in the army. You got to get your stripes. You can't just jump over other things. You start out as a production artist and you go to a junior designer and a designer and then a junior creative uh, art director and then an art director and I went from out of out of out of college within a year I was already a, a, a an art director. And it Sometimes really Sometimes leapfrogging is just okay. It's yeah, fine. It, it is. It is. And again, that's <laughs> $30,000. You put in the work, you learned your trade and you got good at it. And when the opportunity came along, you leaped over a lot of other things, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, that's another thing we have in common. And, you know, for me, it was just, it was incredible. And well, it was opportunity. You took the most out of the yeah. opportunity. And that's what we try to do here in the trenches is like, because I know there's some listeners that are going, I want to get into the music business. I want to get into the art business, yeah. which we will have questions about later. You know, if you see that opportunity, take it. And you definitely did. Yeah. And, and you know, the opportunity is a good one, but you also have to have, you have to have the chops. You know, I mean, because opportunities come along and sometimes you don't make it into something that really is can help you. And you got to know your instrument. You know, and it's funny, Ryan, I never I never really got afraid. I was never really afraid because I knew I could do it. You know, four days to come up with that album cover for Jesus Christ. I just knew I could do it. You know, there was no doubt in my mind. And that those those angels were only one of about a half a dozen different designs that a couple that I even like better than the angels. Uh, <laughs> but that's the one that got it, you know, and I never really, I never got the thing and then went home and went, Oh my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? How am I going to go from here to here and without missing a beat? And, and, you know, there was a lot of pressure, but I never really, it never really scared me. You know, fear uh-huh. is something that I got rid of a long time ago. And just started believing in what I could do. And, you know, I see the same thing in you. I've, wa- I've watched you for quite a while. I really am a big fan of your work. And, and uh, oh, thanks, you know, man. and when it happened for you with Alice, I swear to God, the first thing I said was, wow, Alice did it again. He did it again. <laughs> you know, he, I was, he, you know, 
we we when well i don't want to jump ahead but you know i could go hug those skulls i would right now ernie yeah. i'll give you a big hug right now thank yeah. you very much for that i, I appreciate it. i want to do i want to move on from angels okay. to tongues all right. Okay. I know it's not it's yep. not your natural segue, but we have a little bit of a of a segment that we like to call "Never Let the Truth Get in the Way of a Good Story." That's one of Alice Cooper's favorite sayings: "Never let the right. truth get in the right. way of a good story." But I want to say, "Never let a story get in the way of a good truth," yeah. because I was been on the internet a little bit, and there's some controversy going on oh, yeah. around this or this whole tongue design Rolling Stones logo, and yeah. I want to hear. The story, because I think is there's there's something that's out there, but I want to hear the truth. All right. So one of your first projects with this with a new uh, a new New York based agency was helping to design the Rolling Stones tongue. Right. Now, uh, why has there been so much controversy over the year, and what's the real story behind that? Um, was there any truth to that they were Mick Jagger's lips, and you've already made that of a little bit of a fiction because you say you draw the original right. artwork from that, um, you know, your well, first. His lips were definitely, uh, you know, were influential. I mean, he was kind of, that was kind of one of his, like Jimmy Durante's nose, you know, I mean, it was <laughs> what made him. Alice, what, or, uh, Alice is known Alice for his nose. Mick Jagger's known eyes. for his, Alice's eyes. Yeah. Mick Jagger's yeah. mouth. Yeah. Okay. So let's so, hear the whole story about the Rolling Stones tongue. Okay. Logo. And that, you know, it, it's interesting because everything that I'm going to tell you was really because I was in the right spot at the right time when that opportunity came along. So here I am at Norman Levitt doing all, happy as a clam, you know, doing, uh, you know, all the stuff for Jesus Christ Superstar. And the headhunter calls and wants me to go to an interview. He said, you're doing album covers. You love it. By this time, I had done two or three other albums at Norman Levitt. I did an Aida uh, opera package. It was beautiful. I did a few other albums. And he said, now that you're really into this album cover thing, uh, I've got a place that just does album covers. And I want you to go there for an interview. And I said, no, there's, it's not going to happen because I don't want to get into the position of, you know, jumping from job to job. And people look at that after a while and go, you know, hey, you've had three jobs in two years. What the heck's up? Why would I hire you? You're going to be moving on or whatever it is, the games that you're playing. So I, I quite for quite a while, actually, three or four days, I refused to go to this interview. And finally, he convinced my wife. Because he would talk to her while I was at work. He'd call her up and say, you know, what's wrong with your husband? You know, he, he, must really got, he must have gotten your number from the headhunter. Yeah. From the previous oh, well, headhunter, right? Well, they I mean, you know, and so by now they have a good relationship. And she's agreeing with him that I should go do this opportunity. Because I, I really found, I found myself doing the album covers. It was really, I mean, I forgot all about Madison Avenue. Forgot about, you know, ad advertising. And really wanted to pursue the album cover stuff. And I was happy. And so when she would say, well, you know, Jim called and you really should take this. There's an opportunity. I say, you know, I'm happy right where I am. They, I'm a star there. You know, I saved this account. You know, I felt right. like Andy Hardy coming Super out star. of the court, you know, the room with everybody up on everybody's shoulders, you know. And so eventually, you know, after a few days, they worked on me and I, and I agreed to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to look at it. I'm probably not going to do it. Okay, because I'm happy where I am and I don't want to get the reputation of jumping from job to job. So I go there 
It was a, a little agency in a in a three-story brownstone between on 53rd Street between Madison and Park. And they just did Elm. Close Park. to Madison. You're close yeah, to yeah. Madison still. Uh, still, yeah, close enough to Madison, half a block. And so um, I went on the interview and I'm talking to the owner of the agency and he had his uh, vice president in the room and one of the sales guys. And um, he, I showed him the Jesus Christ Superstar album because at that point it was really hot. It was on everybody's top of mind. The church was against it. The Pope was poo-pooing it. You know, everybody was loving my it. My mom loved it. No, my mom too. My mom too. Are you kidding me? It was one of her, she used to keep a stack of album covers under the TV on the tray there. When people would come over, she'd pull them out and start showing what her son did. <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar was always on the top, you know? Uh, and so. And Gillen um, was singing the hell out of it. I love it. Yeah. So I showed, I'm showing him all the merchandising stuff and he's really digging it. And, um, he said, well, what else do you have? And I said, well, I've got this album. It wasn't really a released album. It was a, it was a gift for salespeople. And I showed him the Dolls Alive package. And first of all, it really caught his eye because it was printed on board. Up until that time, up until the Andy Warhol banana cover with the right. Velvet Underground, pretty much every album cover was printed on um, – here, let me hang on one second. Don't worry. Yeah, uh, every you're getting important was, phone calls during the no, podcast. No, it's no problem. It's a client. That's not important. <laughs> um, so every package pretty much was printed on two pieces of paper that were laminated to a cardboard sleeve, or check a, uh, a chipboard sleeve. Right. Okay. So they'd wrap, they print the front cover, wrap it on the package, wrap it over the edges, and then the back cover would come on and seal it. That was a paper package. Uh, that package was between five and six cents. Board packaging became a big thing because you could do embossing, you could do die cutting, you could do all this different stuff. That's what and made so, your work unique, right? That's yeah, what gave and, you that. You're yeah, a and I would I would have never known that or done it had it not been for International Paper Company because it was on their twenty-two point stock that you know they print cosmetics packaging and stuff on. So I was able to do it there. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know that the industry was changing, and. Where I, the guy that I went to work for was a broker. He used to buy printing from the printer and sell it to the record company. Record company didn't buy it direct. So I'm showing him this package. He sees, oh, man, it's a, first of all, it's a, a hexagon cover. It's printed on board, oh, turns it over, opens it up, and pulls the record out. And he's looking at the label. And Go back to that picture, Vic, if you can, of the tongue, right? You, you, yeah, so he's looking that. at that label, and he starts telling me this story about how he and Marshall Chess – grew up together in Chicago and Marshall's dad owned chess records and Marshall's dad sold chess records to Atlantic and they made Marshall's dad president of Atlantic. And he put his son in charge of managing the stones because they needed direction. They needed a strong manager. So he went to his friend and said, I need a logo for this band. And, uh, and it just so happened, it, is, it sounds like it's a story, but it's, it's a true story. Um, the art director, the creative director, whatever you want to go, Walter, had come down with a, a, a rare spinal infection that paralyzed his whole body, except from, you know, the head was still wow. talking and stuff, but the rest of his body was limp. Yeah, that's not going to be conducive for designing, no. Yeah, and so he needed, like Norman Levitt, he needed a creative director to come up with a logo for Rolling Stones. And he's looking at this label and he said, uh, and he's telling me that story. And he said, you know, if you go upstairs to my art department and you put a t 
tongue on the outside of these lips, I think I could sell that to the Stones. So I went upstairs to his art department, spent about 15 minutes doing a drawing, added a tongue, added some teeth, and, and I went back downstairs. And, and they're really nice teeth, actually. Definitely, you can tell that there's not Mick Jagger's mouth because look at the teeth. The yeah. teeth are so nice and straight. Probably they yeah. are now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and white. Then. Yeah. So, and so I went back downstairs, showed him the sketch, and he goes, okay, perfect. Wait here. So he, and he had a, a big bay window in his office where you could look down onto the street. There was a Slovaki place on the, on the ground floor. And then he had the next two stories up and you, and he went and got in a cab and he went to Andy Warhol's factory in lower Manhattan where Marshall was. And he showed the sketch to Marshall. Marshall said, great. He came back, took about two hours. He came back and said, okay, you know, you, you know, you, you just designed the logo for the Rolling Stones and I'm going to hire you. And I got 200 bucks and a job. That's your first gig, 200 bucks. 200 not bad. Bucks. Not bad for 15 minutes work. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, when you think about it, for, you know, 40 years later, you go, well, wait a second. So yeah. there you go. There's a great version of it right there. Yeah, and that's the artwork. I know yeah. that the, immediately what happened was you ended up designing all the merch for yeah. that tour, right? So, yes. um, Th that's where things get a little bit, uh, where the story gets a little bit controversial. That's where uh, maybe he said, she said, things start happening. What did happen where the album logo that looks very, very similar to that ended up on the actual Sticky Fingers record? Okay, well, what the story that I heard from the guy that I was working for was that Marshall loved it took it back to the Stones, showed it to them. And, you know, the Stones weren't really, uh, you know, weren't really liking the management. Okay. And so the story that I got. They were looking for something not, they just wanted to disagree to disagree. Yeah, this, exactly. And so, and I think a lot of it had to do with Marshall's dad and, you know, that whole thing. And anyway, the, the story that I heard, well, I, well, the thing that I did was supposed to be on the album and all the merchandise. It was I on the merchandise, right? I, I, I've seen pictures with Mick Jagger wearing that original logo, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, they just released uh, on their official website, they released a shirt with that logo on it. It's 400 bucks. You know, I sell mine for $35. <laughs> you know what? We're going to fix that, aren't we, yeah. Joey? Well, you know We're what? Gonna, it isn't, it, it's never been about the money with me. It really hasn't. I, I enjoy what I do. I'm blessed that I've been able to make a career, a 51-year career, now 52-year career out of something that I loved. I never had to have a job. You know, it's I got great. you. I got you, know? you. But you know what? Like I said, I, I, I love the truth getting out there right now. And I know you probably told the story before, but I mean, you can see it, folks, in the proof of the Dolls Alive uh, artwork and obviously the first rendition of the first uh, Rolling Stones tongue logo that it is. That's obviously from your uh, brain. It was your brainchild. Although, you know. There, well, the there's guys like, guys like John Pache. John Pache has, has some sort of credit towards it because his version of the logo, I think, didn't even make the – there weren't really no. teeth there. The there were teeth, but no lines in. in the teeth. And, he, and exactly. supposedly Mick Jagger had showed him a picture of Kali, the Indian goddess, and, and so that's where they got the idea. Uh, uh -huh. and, you know, and to be quite honest with you, and I, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I really like John Pache's version 
better than the one that I did. Okay, and the reason for that, the main reason for that is John Pache's version is like a gesture drawing. It's animated. The stones are animated. Mick Jagger's all over that stage. Keith Richards all over that stage. They they have energy. My logo is kind of It's corporate, okay? Because that's <laughs> that's kind of where I started in corporate. You know what? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no just for me because I like the original. It's like Coca-Cola, the original logo versus Coca-Cola, the new one. You Today. didn't design the Coca-Cola logo, did you? I know you've done no, work No, no, I didn't. I wish yeah, I would have. That, that would have been a big one as well. Yeah, but you know what? One. The Stone's Tongue is is iconic. It's great. And, and you know what? I'm going to get that. $35 version of the original one. I'm not going to pay the $400 version. Well, of that no, I'll send you one. I'll send I, you one. I love that original version. Okay. Have you and John Pache ever met before? And have you guys <laughs> sort of ever no. like sat down? You've never met, never no. talked. No, but uh, there is a guy who is a writer who interviewed me uh, at a museum showing I was having. We became good friends. And he also interviewed John Pache. And you know, he said that, you know, that Pache had recognized what I had done and liked what I had done. And I, you know, he had told him that I said basically the same thing about his. And, and then there's guys like Ruby Mazur and a few others that, you know, try and, and Ruby did a, a version that was later on and uh, had some issues with the stones. But that's another story. A lot of people take credit for it. And you know what? It doesn't bother me because if you look at the body of work, okay. I've done 200 and almost 200, 249 album covers. I'm working on my 250th for Burton Cummings, one of my best friends. I from love it. You're going for 250. See, in my, in my research, I was going over 200. So now I'm saying you're yeah. you're nearly 300 at this yeah. point. Yeah. Well, well, I'm closer to I'm closer to 300 than I am to 200. Let's put it that way. Uh, but um, so look at the body of work. I mean, I've done all this work, and and on top of the album covers. I have twice or three times as many corporate pieces because the artists that were doing the album covers were also doing work for international or for uh, Norm, uh, for Rockwell International. Uh, we designed 13 buses for the LA RTD that looked like big submarines in the water that took kids back and forth to the beach from 13 different locations in LA. You know, we did work for, uh, I worked for Nestle for 30 years doing advertising and packaging. I work for Kraft. I work for, you know, InBev, one of the largest bev uh, beer companies in the world. And I worked on Bex and Bass and Stella Artois, all these. And products. Rolling Rock, I heard as Rolling well. Rolling Rock, and it, yeah. So, yeah. so what, what, I, what we're going to and I know that you're very, way into text and a lot of the, yeah. you know. This, I did, for, this I did for Nestle. They they had the interesting thing here, if I can just, just a quick little anecdote. Let's hear the story they, about the Finger, I love it. Okay, they they the band the bar was like a sleepy bar that had been around forever. The guy who was the brand manager at Nestle for Butterfinger was good friends with the guy who started The Simpsons, and so The Simpsons at that time were little bumper spots on Tracy Ullman's show, and he got a good deal with this guy to have Bart Simpson represent Butterfinger. Well, when that happened, the the sales went through the roof. Okay, it was it became it went from like a sleepy brand, your grandfather's brand, to competing with the top three. 
because of the association with Bart Simpson. And it was funny because I heard from uh, the, my guy who was the head of marketing for that brand that they had a big meeting at Nestle, the, all the uh, executives, and the president was really, really upset with the fact that they had tied Bart Simpson, who was an underachiever, to um, their candy brand because Nestle is all about goodness and, you know, pure and nothing like an underachiever. It had nothing to do with their brand. And supposedly what had happened was he was really upset about it. And the CFO came up and showed him the sales. And that was the end of that. So they kept yeah, on. That was the last of the yeah, underachiever. Oh, yeah. It definitely achieved. Yeah, bottom line always kind of wins out. But uh, and so now give him the finger. Was that was that something that was given to you? And then no, you put that, no. that on or did what you? happened was at the end of the agreement that they had with Bart Simpson, the Simpson people wanted more money. Nestle didn't think sound familiar. Nestle doesn't yeah. think they need them because now they're on top of the world. So they got rid of the deal. And before the brand started tanking, the, the guy that was the head of Butterfinger, the marketing director, called me into his office and he said, look, we're having some real issues. We need to do something that's going to really sort of rejuvenate Butterfinger to really kind of take it in, to the next level. And so I came up with this idea of doing a T-shirt and handing them out free at the, uh, at the Easter break in Florida. Because that's where they'd have the, you know, MTV was doing the whole thing at Easter and, you know, all that stuff. So oh, yeah. we were going to do hundreds of T-shirts and give them out to everybody that was there at, and get on TV with it. So when we presented it, I presented it to my guy. He loved it. He thought, oh, man, this is because in those days when you went to a concert, it was this. This didn't mean, hey, let's go outside and fight. This means, man, you guys rock. You, you know, and great. so trying to take... <laughs> Take that into consideration, really appealing to this audience that's there for spring break. I mean, everybody's going to love it. They're going to be all over television with it, and there'll be a lot of buzz about it. And he loved it, took it to the higher-ups, and man, oh, man, it they just freaked out. They, In a good way or a bad way? Bad way. Bad oh, way. Oh, yeah, is, not only it. did we get rid of Mark <laughs> Simpson, the underachiever, now you want to give people the finger? You know, are you nuts? And these are you all the guys. So you what we did my song was, "Smell My Finger," and it would yeah. have been a huge hit, and then we would have all been together. But you yeah. know, I, I'm sorry to hear that Bart Simpson went the way of ET and Reese's Pieces, and yeah. that they parted ways. But at the same time, I fuck, I love it because that ad for Butterfingers uh, kind of reminds me of an old boy howdy ad with the, yeah, with the you exactly. know, exactly our crumb. Yes. Boy, howdy was a, was a type of beer. I never had that beer. You probably had, were able to drink it at one point or maybe it never no, even existed. No, actually, I, I just got a lot of the comic books, you know, <laughs> because I was in the 60s. We used to go, I was in Oakland. We used to go over to Haight-Ashbury where most of the kids that I went to college with lived in communes there. So we'd right. go in all the black light stores and the incense everywhere and stuff. But, but so what they ended up doing with the shirt was we did 100 shirts. And they only went to the executives because they all wanted them. And give them the it. finger. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and so do you still have one of those give them the finger, butterfinger shirts somewhere? I, you have I, I have one. You have, have one. one. Yeah. All right. I have one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Don't sell it for 35 you bucks. Should read, you should really do that shirt. You should really, because I have the artwork, you know, mm -hmm. but I, you know, and, and it was only a comp. What you see on that shirt was just a comp I did. It wasn't really, 
it wasn't really finished art, you know. About, and we just put Ryan Roxy, give him the finger. What do you think, Vic? Is that a new uh, merch piece? I'm not sure. Well, let's, <laughs> let's see what happens. We'll talk yeah, more well, now later. that we've had this interview. We can do that, man. I have all the <laughs> rights to it, except Nestle might come back on us, but. I hey. hope they do. Any yeah. press is good. Any, any press is good press, right? Yeah. So we've went from Jesus Christ. That's from G that's from Jeff Gordon. That, that, that right there too. used to tell me that any PR, whether it's good or bad, is good. That was Shep. Yeah. We're going to bring up Alice Cooper, Shep Gordon. We're going to talk so much more. Uh, first, of all, the, uh, first of all, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out in the trenches with us in our live chat on our uh, official YouTube channel. Thank you very much. And if you're listening to us on audio, well, either way, you're going to hear a little bit of a commercial, and we'll come right back with Ernie Sheffaloo, who is here gracing us with all his album artwork genius. Thank you, man. We'll be back in 30 seconds. See ya. Hello, Roxy Guitar Army. For those of you that have been faithfully following the podcast, you may have noticed that recently I've been changing up my eyewear from week to week. And today we are happy to announce that Click Eyewear is now an official sponsor of the In the Trenches podcast. They've even given us a special discount code that we can now pass on to our supporters. Click has provided me with both readers and blue blocker protection eyewear that are durable, stylish, and convenient. What sets them apart from the rest of the reader world? The catch is in the click. They are the world's first magnetic reader, which makes them hard to lose and even harder to break. If you're interested in getting a pair or two of your own, check out the discount link located in the description. Never lose your readers again, because with Click Eyewear, they're always around you. Now let's get back into the trenches and back to some more rock and roll. Well, I hope you all heard that. Hey, congratulations on that new sponsor. That's awesome. Oh, Thank you. Very oh much. yeah! All right. Yeah. You know what? Those are those are great glasses. Just another bond that we have. You know what? You you send me uh, one of those original tongue uh, t shirts, and I will send you a set okay. of it's a deal. Eyewear. It's are a you, deal. Are you at two point right now, or where are you? As far as readers, are those all prescription? Me? Oh yeah, no, they're they're it's prescription. All right, all right. I, these these so, are two So send me the frames, and I'll have the the glass replaced. Half our audience is like, what does 2.0 mean? And the other half of the audience goes, I know exactly what it means. So anyway, click readers, if you want to check it out, uh, of course, check out all the links in the description, of course. Uh, back with Ernie Sheffaloo. Um, you know what? I would like to talk candy bars and tongues and Jesus Christ all day long, but I want to move on a little bit uh, to all these iconic album covers that you were uh, designing back in the day and nothing would have probably happened unless you moved back to California and then you opened up Pacific Eye and Ear, all right? And then I know that there was album covers before, during, and after, but that seemed to be a company that you put together um, that things just started to explode from there. And so tell us about that time in, you know, 19, early 70s, 72 probably, where uh, Ernie and Pacific Eye and Ear just takes over the uh, – album concept world well yeah in those days there were only a two or three agencies or design firms that focused on doing album covers hypnosis was one in england but here it was camouflage productions pacific Pioneer, and craig braun the company that i worked for so what happened was after i did the stone's tongue i started doing other stuff there i was now a creative director which i still scratch my head and go what the hell but thank god for bill yeah. levy taught me how to handle it so um i was i was 
and again, doing all the stone stuff and all the stuff that I had done up to then was really giving me more and more confidence that I was going in the right direction. There was never right. a doubt that am I, you know, should I become a, you know, a, go back and be a carpenter? Should I do something else? This was what I was made to do. This was my destiny and I had to follow You're it. getting more confident with typography. Yes, You're getting everything. more confident with with the whole design concept, right? Yeah. Die, using die cuts. Yeah, and this yeah. is where you start to actually change the way the record business and yeah. album business is sort of moving because all of a sudden your designs are not just uh, things to hold a, a record vinyl in. They're actually pieces of art in their own right. And they're interactive. I wanted people to get more involved than just putting the record, take the record out of the cover, put it on the player, listen to music, and then look at the liner notes, look at the back cover of the pictures, whatever. I wanted to get them more involved. And I call that era the golden age of custom album packaging. That's what yeah. I kind of took it is. because it had evolved. It, had, it, it became bigger than just an album cover. It became an interactive piece that the, the that the fan could get involved with and become part of it. Was, it was one of those first big interactive albums. Um, I Was that, would you consider Big Bamboo, Cheech and yeah. Chong? Yeah. Was that, well, yeah. What happened was when I was at, in New York and I had done all this stuff and really comfortable there, the music business was moving. It was moving from the East Coast to the West Coast. It was moving from New York and Chicago to LA, up LA San offices Francisco, all over the place. You know, yeah. our, our hood, this Northern California, that's where the music was coming from. And I was or right in the time. middle of it. In, in, 60, in, in 63 through 68, I was right in the heart of it. I was doing, I mean, a lot of crazy stuff, but, but no, I'm uh, sure you've hung out in some really cool after parties. I'm oh, sure yeah. you've probably smoked probably the best cannabis that is Absolutely. imaginable. And I still do. I still do, man. <laughs> I've got my, you, my career went from that to a lot of marijuana clients. So I, I, I get the best there is a company called King clone and granddaddy perp. I mean, that's anyway, that's a different, another story. Dude, but, we can go down that rabbit hole. Cause I know that one of the, uh, big iconic bands that you designed for was Jefferson airplane as yeah. well. Yeah. And I mean, did it anything get a little bit more than cannabis? Did things it's start going there through the rabbit but hole? I'm going to take you back to go forward. Let's uh, do it. The music industry was moving. The industry, the packaging was changing. The, you know, the, the artists were getting more control. The musician was getting control because the music, the music business was exploding and record companies were feverishly seeking out musicians and giving them whatever they wanted to, you know, all the control, where it was produced, who did the design, all that, where it was printed. It was given to them to get them to sign the label. So the guy that I worked for wanted to also migrate to California and open up a satellite office in Los Angeles. And at that time, there was also, along with everything else was going on, there was a lot of animosity between West Coast people and East Coast people. East Coast people were all hyped up and a lot of shuck and jive. And L.A. people, California people were more laid back. So it was like the original rappers. That was the original rap war was back in the early 70s, I guess. <laughs> the what? The original rappers, East Coast, West Coast rap. Oh, yeah, so, exactly. You know. Well, but this is this is the 19... 70, 1970, 1971. So I was sent to Los Angeles to open up an office with the, uh, the guy's vice president. And so after, uh, and we were promised all this work. He had a connection at AM Records and we were going to get all this work and it never materialized. 
So the vice president, who I never got along with in New York because he was sales and I was art, uh, he and I sort of bonded. And um, we, I, I had... I used to read Billboard magazine from cover to cover, and there was there was a section in there called Bubbling Under, and Bubbling Under would tell you who was in the studio, who was out on tour, who's doing this, who's doing that. And I read that Alice Cooper, who fascinated the hell out of me, um, and again, there's no MTV, there's no nothing but disc jockeys talking about it, and whatever you could get in magazines like Cream and some of those others, um, and just, you know, your own crowd. It wasn't the kind of exposure you have today. So I was intrigued like crazy with Alice Cooper. And I also read that, and that Alice was in the studio recording a new album called Schools Out. And then I also read that Cheech and Chong, who I loved, I mean, we used to do their bits. I mean, it was amazing. I used um, to do their bits. I love their yeah, albums. Yeah. 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 Well, so they were in the studio recording a new album. There was no title for it. So what I did was I act, I pretended that it was a project that I had a project from Alice Cooper and I had a project from, from Cheech and Chong. So I did a schools out album for, uh, you know, the, the, for Alice and I created a comp, uh, you know, drew it and it looked like a printed thing. Um, and I, and it was a school desk that you opened up and I had the record in a regular Warner brothers sleeve, right. For Cheech and Chong. I mean, <laughs> I used to have bamboo papers. I used to use those all the time. So I was sitting there one day and looking at him going, you know, we should really call this album Big Bamboo and do a big cigarette. So you weren't, you weren't a zigzag fella? I thought no. you might have been a zigzag guy. But you know what? You went for the Big Bamboo. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I later got Rizla Rolling Papers, the oldest cigarette company in the world. That was their agency for a while. But I created another comp that – that looked just like the package and it had a big cigarette, big cigarette paper that pulled out. And I, I brought them with me to L to LA. I didn't tell the vice president that I had them. I just figured that somewhere maybe I could bump into one of those two and get, you know, and get a chance. So you to basically made a nice demo of each, you know, right, by hand, a handmade one, you know, with markers and, you know, lettering. And it looked just like the printed piece, both of them. And so, and I took a picture. You call of that a comp? Desk. That's that's what an art director would call. That's my comp. Yeah, color okay. comp. It was a we color would call comp. it. We would call it a de like that would be our demo, or that yes. would be our you know yeah. All right, yeah, it would so be cool. a, your stake in the ground that you would build onto, you know. Uh, and so I brought those with me, and when the work didn't materialize, Tony and I started really bonding. We needed to figure out how we're gonna you know, get this thing off the ground. First of all, we're running up to a lot of adversity because we're from New York. I didn't have an accent, so that was a good thing, but Tony did, his vice president. So you're, anyway, you're actually, it, you're, you're, you're experiencing a little bit of that East Coast, West Coast thing going on. Yes, yes, a lot, a lot of it. And, uh, and we weren't expecting it, you know, and Craig didn't warn us about it. So at a certain point, we're sitting at the apartment that they rented for us, and we're smoking a fatty and you know, and I said, you know, I, I want to show you something that I did, you know, and I showed him the two comps. The next morning, he calls up Lou Adler at Ode Records and said, hey, uh, I'm Tony Graboy. I'm out here with Ernie Shuffler. He's the guy that did the Jesus Christ Superstar album, the Rolling Stones song. And we have an album. We have an idea for Cheech and Chong's new album. And if you'll give us 15 minutes of your time, we'll show it to you. No obligation on your part. We just believe in it strong enough that it's perfect to them. He agreed. 
The next call he made was to Shep Gordon at Alive and told Shep basically the same thing. And we have we have a well, concept. Shep Gordon is Alice Cooper's longtime manager, manager so. and best friend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Shep Shep is one of the most amazing people in the whole world. The guy is honest as the day is long, which is something that's very rare in your business. You have a or lot in of any business, for, you know. You know what's great is the thing is, in retrospect, Shep probably could have used the actual big bamboo rolling papers more than Cheech and Chong at that point. <laughs> um, I don't know. I wouldn't agree with that because Cheech and oh, really? Chong is all they were, they were all about marijuana. They, that right. was their whole shtick. And Alice was more about beer, you know, and yeah, that that's right. He was, so, he, I mean, he was Budweiser. That, at least the way I was thinking. And so um, we went and saw, there's my mom. Yeah, that's at the office at Pacific Ioneer. That big camel in the background is a prop that we use for a Cheech and Chong album that never got produced called the Cheech and Chong All-American Drug Dealing Game. It came in a box with a game. and <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. But... That's another story. Anyway, that's a whole other. That, that might be a whole other episode. Whole Let's stick story. to Big Bamboo and yeah. so uh, and uh, we, we went to school album. Uh, we went to Lou Adler's office and Cheech and Chong were there, and we showed them the comp, and they were floored. They were absolutely floored. In fact, Tommy and Cheech were so impressed with it, they went. The, the album was done in the can. They went back into the studio and recorded a little segment at the end, where you know. Cheech goes over to Chong's house and he's got this big joint and they start smoking it and, you know, talking about where he got the big cigarette paper and it's in the new Cheech and Chong album. So that was on the actual album. Then we went to Alive and um, it was just Shep. Okay. And we showed Shep the desk. He loved it. And he said, have you guys ever seen Alice live? No, this was on a, like a Thursday. He said, well, Alice is going to be at the Palladium. Canned Heat's opening up for him. And um, why don't you guys come and see him? I'll put you on the list. So, it, Just on the list. We didn't have backstage passes or anything. So we go to the concert at the Palladium. The place is packed. Alice comes out doing his thing. It's amazing. Oh, and they advertised, Shep advertised that if you have a weak heart, definitely do not come to this concert. We have nurses and doctors on staff. Okay, really? so that's only going to make you want to go more. Yeah. And that was the brilliance of Shep Gordon. And so we're at the concert. He's doing the songs and he starts doing the uh, West Side Story, the Jets and the, and the, and the Sharks. We advertise and, it now these days without. Just so you know, Ernie, we advertise the shows with Alice. Uh, if you have if you have bad heartburn. Uh, you should come to an Alice Cooper show. That's it. That's, that's the only difference. You know? Yeah. Well, so 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 we're there at the concert, and I mean, I'm I'm we're just blown by uh, blown away by Alice. And so, as they're doing the West Side song, uh, West Side Story song, there's a heckler in the audience. It's Gutter Cats versus the Jets. That's yeah, basically yeah, that, yeah. that fight right. scene Gutter Cats between and the Jets. And roadies and musicians. Yeah, it still West. goes on today. Yeah. Roadies versus musicians, but right. the, you know they're Gutter Cats and Jets. And don't. Right. And for those of you that haven't seen that fight in a long time, um, you never know; it might come back. Yeah. So anyway, this heckler keeps it up, and Alice starts out by not paying any attention to him. The guy's getting louder and louder. So at a certain point, Alice starts interacting with him, telling him, "Come on up on stage." Come, big mouth, come on up on stage. So the guy goes up on stage. Alice pulls out a switchblade, stabs the guy. The guy falls over. The lights go out. It's completely black in the Palladium. You can't see anything. You can't see your hand in front of your face. A couple minutes go by. The lights come back on. And Alice is in the straitjacket, and he's walking up to the gallows. 
Okay, and they're playing. Oh, actually, no, it was the judge. He went up in front of the judge. The judge condemned him, you know, for murder to be hung. Lights go out again. Let me Come guess. They, they're trying to execute Alice. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> I think I know what happens. So he goes up the steps. They put the noose around him. Okay. The drum rolls going. The anticipation is you can cut it with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the it drops. He's dangling. The lights go out. Okay. They're out. People are yelling. People are screaming. Women are passing out. I mean, it's crazy. And the lights come back on. There's nobody on stage and no um, encore. No encore. People are, I mean, they were in the, they had to be at least 10 minutes in the in, inside banging and clapping and wanting the encore. No encore. <clears throat> so you go back and you turn on the radio and people are talking about how something messed up. And Alice got hung, and he's dead. Okay, and and people, I'm telling you, people are freaking out. They're freaking out. It, it, it went Wells, wrong, dude. It Orson Welles. You just, so, it's, it's Orson Welles. It's and and there, again, there's no internet. There's no there's no television really. You know, you have to listen to the disc jockeys, and the disc jockeys were working it, and they were it's just Danny man, they messed up. boob all over again, man. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we still don't know anything. The weekend goes by. The, you know, the chatter is still going because it's really crazy, and we show up at the live offices on Monday morning, and there's Shep, and there's Alice, and Alice is sitting on the couch drinking a beer. You know, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, this is so amazing. This is great, and. From that moment on, we just totally bonded, you know. Because I mean, and that Alice was your first record with Alice design yeah. designing that schools out. Because then there would end up becoming many, many more, and uh, ones that one of the most iconic ones uh, that you ended up doing, of course, uh, with the illustrator, the great uh, Drew Struzan, is yeah. the "Welcome to My Nightmare" album cover. Um, the thing I want to talk about with this album cover, because because you know we are going to spend a little bit extra time with Alice on this because we have that common bond. In a way, Alice has given us both huge, huge breaks yeah. with our careers. Well, that's how he well. is. That's how he is. He's not selfish. Alice has so, got a heart bigger than his. I love it. And, and so, he loves so new how talent. did the whole he loves finding new talent? You know that. And not well, that you're new talent, but you see other people that he has in his band. And, you know, I mean, it's it's I mean, how many other musicians do you know that have done that? That don't get off on these ego things or get pissed off because they're not the main guy anymore. You know, I mean, it's he doesn't have that problem because he really yeah. is. He's, he's always been secure is. enough. And, and it's cool to hear this from you because you've known him since back in the day. He's even yeah. the, even the non sober Alice. I've only known, yeah. I've only toured with sober Alice. And I was right. thinking, well, could I have actually been in that circus? And I think I could have actually been nice because it's probably like being in the eye of a hurricane. Um, but I want to talk about how the, uh, the album cover uh, welcome to my nightmare came about because this was a shift because you had done, you know, You've done some great album covers, Billion Dollar Babies. You came right. up with the concept of the Big of the wallet. Billion Dollar Babies, Snakeskin Against the Coin. It's amazing. It's it, I mean, I want that wallet so bad still yeah. to this day. Um, and then uh, I think I actually owned one at one point and then from Brian Nelson, but then it oh, got Brian, lost. Yeah, oh, sure. yeah, you remember Brian. Renfield. Great, Renfield. Yeah, Renfield. <laughs> so 
That's right. You, you've known from, from yeah. the old school. You're from the old school up to the new school. What happens with uh, Welcome to My Nightmare? Because obviously it's a, it's a shift. It's a departure from Alice going solo. And then you have uh, Drew. Is he on your team? And how did you fit that illustration in with that whole album design concept? Okay. Again, I'm going to go back to go forward. Got the it. guy that I was work, the guy that the vice president and I were working for, um, we got fed up with how he did business of who he was, and, and we decided that I was I, I I went back I would go back to San Jose, and I had some friends that I got some mushrooms from, and I brought them back. And Tony was fed up. I was fed up. Tony was going to go back to New York because that's really where he was from. It was kind of like a fish out of water in L.A. And I was going to go to work for one of Craig's competitors who was whining and dining me. So we decided that we would take these mushrooms and just say like a farewell thing. During that farewell trip, um, we decided that no matter who we went to work for, it was always going to end up the same. So why not just start our own company? And that night we created Pacific Ear because of the music and the Pacific Ocean and our tagline was our mothers always wanted us to be doctors. So that's how we started. And then we started our own company. And at that point, Alice was, you know, the, I think was, was it the, well, was the greatest hits came before welcome to my nightmare. Yeah, right. The illustration with the yeah. old school. I, right. I'm not sure if Vic has that up there as well. Cause I mean, right. there's well, so was, many great, there's yeah, great. That was Drew Struzan as well. What happened to me was Drew came to an interview he had made an appointment. I stopped seeing portfolios because I was just too busy. And, and I did. I had three, four staff illustrators and a staff photographer. I didn't really need to see anybody's books. It was taking up a lot of time because we were doing between four and six albums a month and corporate work in between because I never wanted to just do one thing. All of my whole career, even when I was working in other agencies, I would always freelance. And smart, I never wanted smart, to diversify, diversify. Smart, yeah. yeah. Because people pigeonhole you. Oh, you're a guitar player. Oh, okay. You play for Alice Cooper. No, I'm that. And a whole lot more. Okay. I, I was the same way. Yeah. I do album covers, but I also do all this other work. So we were doing a lot of corporate work at the same time. And, and I had made an appointment with Drew or actually the sec, my secretary had made an appointment. He showed up on a Saturday and I saw him. I was busy doing a Jefferson airplane. We had a, a, a assignment for the airplane and I was working on that. And he shows up with his book. And I swear to God, it was like looking at Michelangelo's book. Wow. OK, if Michael, if you had a chance to look at Michelangelo's portfolio, it was like that. The guy was just incredible. I mean, he could do he was a, a fine artist. He was a painter. But he needed a job. He just had a new kid. He was married. He needed. He needed a job. And so it's funny to I, think of Michelangelo with a portfolio. Though. You think yeah, he, he used to walk around with one, or, yeah, or do you think he uh, said, "Go look up there. I've done some yeah. work." That's my what last. About piece. his sculptures, you slept those around too. I mean, you know, come on. So, <laughs> Not as anyway, easy back in those days. <laughs> I was blown away by his work, and I gave him a job. I, that's Drew on the left, Bill Garland in the middle, and me on the right. Bill Garland also became, and that's a whole other story as well. How, you know, Ryan. And I, I'm sure you'll relate to this. I was lucky and blessed enough and smart enough to surround myself with people that were much better than I was. Okay. Oh, much it, better. It than only I. elevates yourself, right? That's it right. Only, it's, that's exactly right. If you believe in yourself, it isn't like, oh, shit, I'm never going to, oh, I'm done now. It's like, oh, my God, I got to be better than I ever dreamed that I could be. 
I had to go in there every day with this team of incredible artists and give them direction, give them ideas. And if it wasn't right for them, they would tell me. They would say, that's no, that's not right. You know, it's just, it, it, you know, we've already done something like that or you need to really come back with something better. They would, they were the harshest critics. Okay. And they were all coming up too. Drew was right out of art center, you know, graduated top of his class with, and this illustration was done by Bill Garland. Bill Garland came out of the air force. It was a photographer, wow. but he loved Sorry, to do I have cartooning. Not seen that. He loved See, cartooning and he loved uh, calligraphy, you know, uh, hand lettering, old, right? not, not so much what I did, but just like lots of text hand lettered. And you could show Bill any style of, of calligraphy and he could copy it. So, what would I've never was, seen that gatefold. You know why, Ernie? Because huh. I grew up, Alice Cooper's greatest hits for me was a CD. I thought that was old school, but I've yeah. never seen the gatefold of greatest hits like that. I have yeah. not. Yeah. You know? Well, it was really, um, it was really not a gatefold. It was just a single sleeve front and back. This, this, the illustration you saw of Bill Garland's was the sleeve that the record went in. Okay. Oh, it was so just on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On both sides, it, just like Drew's illustration. If you look at the cover, if you open it up, it's a, a complete illustration. I have all that original artwork. That's a 30 by 40. That's a pencil rendering. It's done with graphite pencil on illustration board. That's Bill Garland's. And, and hold on to that for a second, because when we turned on, when we turned this album, I went with Shep to Warner Brothers to turn the album in. And the legal department said, well, wait a minute. You know, there's we can't put Marilyn people. Monroe. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's 13 people in here that are still alive and we can't okay this because you could open up yourself for a lawsuit. So we had to do things like Judy Garland on the left there dancing with Alan Ladd. She was originally dancing with Mickey Rooney, but Mickey Rooney was still alive. So we had to find somebody that was the same physical, uh, wow. you know, look as Mickey Rooney, but was dead. Luckily, well, unluckily Alan Ladd was dead. So we put him in there. We had to change 13 <laughs> heads. And, and if you look, there's like Boris Karloff right there to the left of Michael in between Humphrey Bogart is looking at Bella Lugosi, who's on the other side of Michael. So there's all this and all every one of them is a movie star that's dead, except for Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx and Alice were really good friends. Yeah, so you know the relationship Alice. between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he gave, yeah. So and um, what happened was. Drew knew how to draw really well. Bill could do cartooning, but he needed to learn about anatomy. So both of them taught each other. He, Bill taught Drew how to cartoon, and Drew taught Bill how to draw figures better and faces and stuff. And I was sort of the coach. I'm here giving direction, giving ideas, and just, you know, <laughs> sitting back, being amazed at what they did. And just so you know, Dennis Dunaway is listening right now to our yeah. podcast. He's in, and he said he definitely wasn't Well, dead. no, aside from the group, Dennis, you, I know. <laughs> Dennis is great. Uh, aside from the group, Garacho Marx was the only one that was still alive. So, wow. and not well, That's the first time that. I've ever seen Alice Cooper in pantalones. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, well, so, the whole idea was a St. Valentine's Day massacre. It was the greatest hits. And then if you look at the front cover, there's an area where there's guys lined up against a wall and guys with machine guns. And I did the lettering that went in between. I had a great relationship with these guys because they were never mad at me or ego at me because I came up with the ideas. But they would always take into consideration what I did was what the lettering is. 
So, and Drew would later years would say, he, we actually get together quite a bit. He'd say, you know, the one thing I miss, uh, a few things I miss about working with you guys, but one of them is that in the movie poster business, I have to do what they say. I have to put the type where they want it. So right. instead of working with you, we worked together and I knew what, you know, we, we I said, okay, here's what this is going to be. And he said, okay, I'm going to draw it like this. And, and here's where your lettering is going to go. And there was just this, it's like you, Ryan, when you get together with the rest of the guys in the group, it's, it's all about the music. It's all about <laughs> each one of you doing the best that you can do. And it's about the music. That's what it's yeah. about. Well, to me, it's it's about putting yourself, putting your part in to ultimately help out the song or the performance analysis, uh, analysis case, analysis band's case. The thing that actually really I just thought of while we're looking at all this amazing artwork from Alice Cooper's greatest hits is that Alice Cooper has the same initials as Al Capone. Yeah. I don't know if that was ever lost. You know what? I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. There you I go. Just, you know, since it was the greatest <laughs> thing, a hits title... I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That was a great hit. And Al so Capone, we Alice Cooper, maybe. And, yeah, and I actually put, saw yeah. there's a Coca-Cola logo in that album. Yeah. Did, did, did they ever give you shit for that? There's did also ever... 18, the number 18, and Billion Dollar Babies on the magazines. If you go back to that front cover, okay, you see there's the Billion Dollar Babies up there, and then the door has 18 and Coca-Cola, and then, you know, we and then drew signatures on the hubcap. And on the bottom right-hand corner. I see the 18 above, right below the Coca-Cola sign. I yeah. had never noticed that before. And, and over to the right is Billion Dollar Baby's coin on that magazine. And, of course, Groucho Marx is there. I see looking yeah. over at, yeah. at uh, the and boys Peter in the Lurie and, and Harlow, Gene Harlow. And we wanted to, since it was the greatest hits, well, what more perfect thing to do but give them violin cases because that's what gangsters used to carry their machine yes. guns in. So exactly. you think it's going to be this massacre and you open it up and it's one of those dance marathons that they used to have in, you know, in the thirties where everybody danced it. until you dropped and the last people to drop would win. Here I was thinking we were going to go uh, down the welcome to my nightmare uh, rabbit hole. And we've kept, instead we've gone down the greatest hits album cover. Uh, well, it became before. Then I know, I know, and I understand. I, and honestly, I want to make this like a three-part series, but I, I am going to move on just a little bit with because there's okay. so many album covers I want to talk about. And I know that everybody that's in our uh, chat and that's in our live chat, and if you haven't been uh, to our live chat yet, it's Ryan Roxy Official. Uh, just hit that subscribe button right there, and you can become a part of our show every single week. Because I have a feeling that we're going to have Ernie back, but there's that I'd subscribe button back. There's right a there. lot to talk about. <laughs> but there's so many albums because, like I said, I, I would like to move on to Welcome to yeah. My Nightmare and how that happened. But then I'm looking at all these amazing albums, amazing bands that you worked with, and some of my favorite albums. And, you know, I, I'm looking at the Bee Gees, for instance. Yeah. I mean, what, what the, and this is where I want to move into your, uh, talent with text and your talent with typography. Um, I had heard that the Bee Gees logo that you came up with was a font that not only wasn't an entire script font, it was basically just Bee Gees and That's unique unto did. its own. So how That's did that, how did well, it come about that you, that the Bee Gees came to you and was that, did that have anything to do with Robert Stigwood? Yes, I'll go backwards to go forwards. Robert Stigwood, when Jesus Christ Superstar became a play on stage, Robert Stigwood was producing it. 
And he reached out to me because I had done the album and he said, I'm, I'm doing this to play this and I'd want you to do all the libretto and all the stuff that goes along with it. So I worked with Bob and we did the, you know, I did all that for him. And then we had started Pacific Ear, and I hadn't heard from him in a few, couple of years, three years or whatever. And, and one day I get a phone call from him. Hey, hey, Ernie, it's Bob. How you doing, man? Oh, everything's good. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm managing a band right now that I want a logo done for, and you're the guy to do it. And it was the Bee Gees. And it was their big, and I was always a Bee Gees fan, even in college. I loved the, the three-part harmony and something. They were just really great, very different. And uh, now it's the disco era. And so they're really doing, you know, a break into the to the disco thing. And tragedy and, was out. Is I think that was one of their big songs off that uh, that right. album. What, what was yeah. the name of the album? Main course. Main course, right? Right. So, right. so you came up with that logo for it that they ended up using all throughout their career for everything. Yeah, sure. And and well, by this time I really was very comfortable with. I was as comfortable with designing text logos as you are with your guitar. It was just it, it would just flow. It flew. I mean, it just would flow out. It was like something that you didn't control. And because I really loved the Bee Gees and I wanted something kind of soft and, and but yet strong. And so I did that lettering and Robert loved it. They loved it. And, uh, you know, we did the album with the girl in the spoon, you know, because the Coke spoon and the disco was synonymous with each other. And, and we have that Strizan, album cover, Vic. Yeah. And Drew Struzan was the guy to go to. I mean, I, I was I had. I had the the ability to go to four different artists that were staff artists that each one did something that was different than the other. So there was never any overlap. You know, I would we would work together on stuff, but I was able to assign this package to Bill, this package to Carl Ramsey, this package to Drew Struzan. So it was really kind of <laughs> You have to understand, as a little kid, and I first seen that the spoon. I'm just thinking it's a spoon. I don't think I'm not thinking it's anything else but a spoon. Yeah. At my age, you know, yeah. it was a little bit well, before. It was uh, a subliminal. It was a subliminal thing, uh, you know, it. that because disco was synonymous with pills, and cocaine, this you great know, 70s. Studio 54. You know, all yeah. that was really happening. So, um, and they loved it. I mean, they they loved everything about it. You know, so. And then, like I said, Drew, you know, Drew, the amazing thing about Drew is that he could do any, not only could he do any style, he could do any medium. You know, this is watercolor. It's watercolor with an ink line drawing and it's on an overlay. And we did things on overlays like an animation cell because you were able to keep the black 100% black. So if the black were in the illustration, it would be a percentage of black because they'd have to scan it and, and to be able to print it. So we would always, we had a bunch of stuff that we would, like an animation cell, the black line art was on a separate overlay. And you did a lot of innovative things like that with yeah. not just the, you know, the die cut and all that stuff. I know that you're friends with one, with the guy from the Guess Who. And yeah, when he put his, when Bert put out his album um, with his own band, there was some artwork where you actually put the plastic on the actual album, right? Is there yeah. came, what was that whole? Well, I mean, again, it wasn't really on the album. It was it was used in the artwork to trap. It was to be able to trap color, like the Rolling Stone song. If you look at that Rolling Stone song, it's a black and white illustration, line art, and people would look at that and and go, "Well, where's the red? It's supposed to be black, white, and red." Well, no, the red had to be on a separate overlay 
so that it could be 100% red and 100% black. If the two were together as one piece, nothing would be at 100%. It would all have. This a gave it a 3D effect that you did for this album, right? Yeah, we did. We did. We did. We did that several times for different groups. It, it just gave it more. It gave it more punch when it was printed. You know. When you printed a, a, a 3D type of album cover or something that was really interactive, like you say, these album covers, did you experience a lot of pushback from the record labels? Well, at that point, the, the groups had the, most of the control. From I'd say from 19, from the Velvet Underground with the banana on it, from that cover to the mid-1984s, the groups had pretty much control over everything that was done, who produced it, where it was produced, who, who designed it. And, and our biggest competitor, yeah, that one, the guy that I went to work for did that sticker. That's a sticker. And when you peel it back, it's got a pink banana under it. And when you put it back over, it sticks. So it's a re-stickable banana. That was the first custom album package, interactive, that was done, printed on board. Did and you ever do a scratch and sniff album? Uh, there was, I guess there was, a, I don't know. We, I mean, <laughs> I I'd always heard about that, but yeah, why not? I imagine that you did. Well, yeah. you I, actually, you're the inspiration, to be honest with you. All your sort of, uh, all everything that you've done that's groundbreaking with album artwork um, was very inspirational with our die cut, my solo album, because yeah. Scotty uh, Hagen, who works at Balachi Records, uh, he was the one that decided, let's have an interactive album cover yeah. where we can have, you know, three different... Sure, change different it up. Albums. Yeah, change it up. And yeah. then you could always, you know, look at it and go for different types of album yeah. covers. And then, of course, it, I mean, that whole die cut idea that you have put together, you know is has been groundbreaking and that's why we wanted to make sort of an uh, interactive album uh right. that we put out with my last solo album and honestly i'm i'm thanking you right now in yeah. person because you're kind of like the inspiration yeah. for most of that and of all these like you said 250 album covers that you've designed i guess it's really hard to say is there some is there one album in particular one album cover that really uh you have a special place in your heart with well, uh, the way I would answer that is, you know, it would be like me asking you which one of your children is the favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I love them true. all. I love you each love one them of them. And for the story that goes with it, each one of those has a story, you know, and the corporate art does too, you know, and, you know, it's uh, as far as interactive, I think the, the biggest interactive album that I ever did was the doors full circle. Okay, I'm not. I don't know whether you're familiar with that. It was the second album done after Jim Morrison had passed away, and so the music wasn't, you know, where it should have been. But that album cover, it came with two extra panels. Okay, two twelve and three eighths inch panels that folded out, and it was a zoetrope that you punched out. It was all die cut. You punched it out. You put it together. It had three holes in the top where light could come in. And it had a little pedestal that popped out of those two things. And the zoetrope set on top of the pedestal. And you put it on your record. And the hole would keep for the spindle, you know, on the record uh, mm -hmm. player. And it would sit down there. And it was light enough to where it wouldn't affect the, the quality of the music. So as the music played, you could look through the slits and see the animation of an embryo that goes into a baby that's crawling to a, a, a little boy that's getting up and walking, to an older boy that's running, 
to an older man who's running and getting older and falling over and dying and turning back into an embryo in 27 frames. 33 and a third uh, record there it speed, is. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. the album. And, it, and if you see the cover, Joe Garnett did this. Um, the cover is exactly what I explained. It's what the happens. embryo yeah. crawling out of and becoming the old man on the other side. And it's the full cycle of life. It's the full circle. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was, unfortunately, I think that was one of the ones that record companies started learning their lesson because they would sign groups and the group would make them spend, you know, they're used to spending five and six cents a cover. And now they're spending 15, 20, 25 cents for a cover. And the group sells five albums. Right, you know, right. so they started taking by 1984. All that control came back. All to the, the bottom. It goes down to the bottom line at that yes. point. But but that's why you say you were in the golden age of album artwork design. Yeah. And you know, a couple of years later, that landscape that you have to work with shrinks. Yeah, yeah, and it does. almost today it shrinks almost to nothing. But yeah. there's a glimmer of hope because album surges of vinyl. There yeah. you go. And yeah. this is where this is where I want to go with it. But I mean, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about. I didn't even get a chance to talk about the Aerosmith album covers okay. because those Wait, are yeah. so influential for me. I didn't get it. I go, okay, Vic, you're going too fast. Well, go and back it, to the Black Sabbath thing for a second. I know, but hold on. I got I got to oh. keep my bearings with me because okay. I have okay. so okay. much yeah, to talk ahead. about. Aerosmith, and and I I do want to hear the story about uh, the bloody uh, Sabbath, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, because. Right. You, I know the, the legend has it that the album cover that you designed was actually way more of a classic heavy metal logo than yeah. what the band decided on. So yeah. how did that work out? Because they did use the actual uh, artwork, right. but the, actu the, the logo text was changed, right? From yeah. your version to their version? How did yeah, that go? If, if you look at that cover, you'll see on the right and left side of the skull, those two lines that go up off the top, that yes. was the bottom of my lettering. I had done this oh. beautiful Black Sabbath lettering that had that those two circles. Do you have that original one, Vic? There. Oh. Well, that's a comp. That's a rough comp that, that Drew and I did. That there, There's an example of Drew's. I mean, that's just a sketch. He did that probably in less than a day. Oh, man. And then I then I put in and on, on the cover... Um, the 666 man is in perfection. You know, when, when I met with the group, um, they told me what they were trying to achieve with the Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath title. One of my main concerns with everything that I do, but even more in the record company, and that's where I, in the record business, where I learned it is I needed to create the emotional connection between you, the musician, the music and the fans. So what I did was I created that bridge to get the fans more into what you're creating and understanding it. So when they explained to me what they meant by Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, when I had my first communion, um, my aunt gave me these two prints from England. They were old. And one of them was a good man. And the other one was a bad man. And both of them were at the split second of their death. Okay. And if you look at the front cover, it's a bad man, an evil man, where all his relatives are turning into demonic figures. The, uh, his pillow becomes a snake. The bed is a trap. 
666 man's imperfection and that's my wife in the upper left hand corner that's the first that's time what i, I was going to ask you i heard that your wife was yeah. on this cover as well as some other people that are uh responsible for the artwork of it right sure yeah and bonnie's in the upper right that's the first time i ever saw her naked and then uh <laughs> ingrid in ingrid hinky her girlfriend was the the illustrator on toys in the attic who was another artist that worked for us and all the other she's male on figures. there as well Yes, she's on the left, uh, the, toward the bottom, and then Drew is all the male figures. I and like and the, the funny thing about this cover, along with Alice Cooper covers, was Drew was very religious, extremely religious. Okay, and I had to talk, I had to talk my ass off to get him to do these illustrations because they were, you know, he just was yeah, not I, into demonic anything demonic anything and you know i had to it really looks like a, that, that that album cover looks a little bit like a scene out of the exorcist yeah to be honest with you yeah sure the bed yeah. and everything you know yeah and then if and if you and the, and the colors the colors really influence the reaction that you're getting it's the panic colors and all that's color pencil except for that ochre background which is acrylic all the illustration is done in colored pencil on illustration board and i don't know if you know it but when you work with colored pencil there's so many there's only so many times that you can go over an area like if you try and put down a red and go in it with a blue to get a little bit of a purple if you do it too much the the surface won't accept the the, the uh parathane that's in the wax in the pencil so you end up with these white spots that you can't fix ernie i i'm only, i only know about crayon I'm okay. only well, crayons, crayons. The same thing. Crayons, <laughs> the same thing. It's got that. It's got that coating, that wax coating, That's and true. you can only go over it so many times without it peeling up, and then the surface won't take it anymore. And now this is the opposite. This is the good man at the boat at his death. The overarching spiritual figure behind him. That's Ingrid mm -hmm. on the left and on the right. Bonnie's next to Drew on the beds, and you've got the sleeping lions. So you've got power and comfort. And, who is you know, the who is the workout guy in the background uh, doing that? Was the Bill creator. Garland? That was oh Bill Garland because he was doing a lot of workout out at the gym and stuff, and he was He's pretty, pretty tight right there. All right, yeah. So yeah. if you if you can go back to that album cover, Vic, this is what I want. My point I wanted to make about the the typography because I saw the the, the logo that you had made, which is a classic. Uh, heavy metal record yeah there you go the heavy metal uh sort of logo and you know but much nicer than the sticks and stones of, of what, what what most thrash bands are but you got right. you, you can black sabbath but then when you go to their uh version of it you see these s's right right and that's um, like the ss th exactly but here's my question to you this album came out what year uh oh gosh 1975 was this, I thought it was 73. I, I think it might have been. It, I think it was a year before the first Kiss album. So do you think oh. that those S's might have had anything to do with the Ultimate Kiss logo? Which ultimate, Probably. I don't I know. So. It's like because, that SS thing again. It, I think it subliminally, it, it's like the Nazis, you know, and I, that's really in tune with Black Sabbath. You know, I mean, that that kind of edgy whether you liked it or not, I mean, it still kind of em emulates that. And, it's controversy. And no no yeah, doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, controversy. Creating the controversy, just like the Stones done. I think the Stones love the fact that there's all this controversy. I mean, I go online and I've had people call me a liar. You know, oh, you're a liar. You didn't do that. Oh, well, you know what? When I went upstairs to the art department and did it, you know, you weren't there. 
So how do you know? Because you read something that somebody wrote that wasn't even alive when it was being well, if, done. You know, if anyone it's, doesn't think that Ernie uh, designed the Stone Rolling Stones logo, uh, please review this podcast right now. Wherever you're watching it, go back and watch from the beginning because we cover all that. We're here with Ernie uh, Cephalou, uh, the king of all album artwork. I'm telling you, I'm going to dive eventually into Aerosmith because it is one of those those iconic albums that you yeah. made uh, that you designed. Um, you were saying the woman that uh, did this illustration. Uh, how did this whole thing come about with the logo getting burst? Did was the logo handed to you, or how did that work out with that album cover? Um, well, the cover is kind of funny because um, I was reached out to by Lieber Krebs, who was managing Aerosmith at the time. Right. And they set up an appointment with me and Steven Tyler and Joe Perry at the Continental Hyatt. And they had the name of the album was Teddy Bear's Funeral. Okay. And, and the concept was basically when you become a man, you put away children's toys. So it's like this passage thing that they were conceiving. So I did all these things for Teddy Bear's Funeral. <laughs> And I go to the Continental Hyatt to meet with them and I'm showing in these and I, you may have one of the sketches I did it. It's like a, it looks like a Beatles thing where they're in a you know, graveyard and there's a teddy bear down by the, and they all got umbrellas and stuff. And, and that was one of the sketches and I'm, and I'm showing him the sketches and they, and Steven goes, Oh yeah, we forgot to tell you, we changed the name of the album. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but it's that happened called, a lot. It's now Didn't that happen a lot with bands that you were working with? Oh, yeah, like, oh. it happened with the Jefferson Airplane. Yeah, sure. It, it, you know, and, and it was, I guess, a working title, and they changed it to Toys in the Attic. And so, but, you know, they really loved Ingrid's. Ingrid had done some sketches. Ingrid was, um, she was um, Bonnie's best girlfriend and an incredible artist. Uh, she did a lot of children's books and fashion. She was a fashion designer for Cole's uh, women's bathing suits. And she was a model, really beautiful lady. And she actually, we were, we're still friends, but, and she's still around, but I needed, uh, I had a couple sketches of hers around Teddy Bear's funeral. And they really liked, Stephen and Joe liked her style and said, go away and come back with toys in the attic. So that's what we did. And then I showed him the comp that she had done for that. And they liked it. And, she did. It's a watercolor. It's kind of like a what's his name? The English. He's an English children's book illustrator. You're not going to get me to do that. I don't yeah, know. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Right I, uh, I know the name. It's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, they, uh, she was really good at that kind of things for kids books and stuff. And so she did the art. Yeah. And so, then and then so this album comes out before. Oh, and I also what? messed around with their lettering. I didn't tell them that. You know, oh, I mean, it's you? always it's always better to ask for forgiveness than ask permission. You, you beg for and <laughs> that I've done could that. be our quote of the day. It's always yeah. better yeah. to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, well, you than beg you beg for permission. forgiveness than ask permission because otherwise, if you ask permission, more than likely it's not going to get done. So you just exactly. do it. Panavision, so you mess with, most, you mess with their typography a little. Yeah, bit I made it more readable. I made it okay. more readable because when you look at the logo before this album, it's it really hard bluesy. to read. I mean, it's really kind of funky. And so I kind of cleaned it up and changed it and did another piece of line art that they never realized that I did. And I didn't tell them. And did I you had, use that same logo uh, on the next album, which rocks. would have been Rocks, which right, is to yeah. me, their Sergeant Peppers uh, produced by Jack Lug, Douglas. Right. I, I mean, it was basically their, um, go back to this album cover Rocks, because I, 
for for as a kid, I didn't really know what diamonds were rocks. I I didn't understand the whole concept because I was a kid. But when I when it finally came up to it, it's the perfect album cover, the perfect title for it. And I'm waiting for the album cover to come up. But oh wow, I get a shake from my producer's head. He doesn't have that album cover. It's okay. It's it is such an iconic album cover, and um, what was the concept behind that? And did you well, know each one of them? Each one of them was a gem in themselves, you know, a diamond in the rough. And so it it just and it, we had no time to do it. We had no time. I mean, we probably did that cover in about three days. They, really? They, yeah, because I guess they had tried <laughs> some other stuff and didn't like it or whatever. So they came back to us, and I, my staff photographer, we set it up and shot it on a piece of plexiglass and, uh, and that was it, you know, um, and, you know, changing things without telling Panavision motion picture cameras was one of my clients for about nine years. And their logo was probably the worst logo you ever saw. Each letter looked like it came from a different font. So what I did <laughs> over the course of about seven months was slowly change it, you know, and not tell Panavision. Them. Yeah. Oh, there's Aerosmith. Yeah. Panavision motion picture cameras. I love yeah. it. So yeah, there's, so there it is. That, yeah. And the rocks represent the five different members. Yes. Yes. Because again, I, so we had th probably three days. I remember, I, I don't know exactly, but it wasn't much more than that. They just needed a cover and, you know, they came to us and, you know, and again, I don't know whether they were trying somebody else before it or whatever, probably not because they really like what we did with toys in the attic and Lieber Krebs was still managing them. So I, I think that they said, well, let's go back to Pacific Ioneer and have them do it. One of our biggest competitors wasn't really other design firms because there were very few, maybe three. It was the record companies were our biggest competitor. They had their own art department. They had their own in-house yeah. art, art so design. They would so they said, they'd take your ideas maybe. And they'd well, say, or they oh, would, they, no, they, their thing was, hey, you know, why would you go to Pacific Ioneer and pay them $2,500 to do an album cover? We'll do it for you for free. You know, because we got die cut, we got interactive. We can do covers. all that. That's we have we an do. art department, and 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 there was a guy named Lee Dorman. He was the bass player in Iron Butterfly, that then became Captain Beyond, and Lee and I became really good friends. And what? Captain Beyond was the album I was talking about that had that amazing. Yeah, the album lenticular cover. plastic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Okay. Yeah. There. Yeah, that's a painting that Joe Garnett did. I did the lettering and the concept, and we created the Captain Beyond character, you know, that they used. Uh, again, I, I think they still use it. Bobby Caldwell still uses it because right? he's, you know, still with pushing the Captain Beyond thing. But uh, Lee was a great friend, and he was an incredible bass player. And he was the kind of guy that liked to dig down deep, okay? And so when the record company would say to him, why don't you just come to us? Our department will do it. It's not going to cost you anything. He did some sniffing around and found out that they were paying three times what they would pay us because a record company had many places to hide money. They could put it in rehearsals. They could put it in instrument rentals. They could and put they, it in touring. It's all recoupable. All, yeah. yeah. It's, it's great to, the to hide something and you got 15 places to hide it. You know, it's pretty hard to find, but Lee found out. And the, the musician community, because he knew everybody. Iron Butterfly was a huge band, and they had a lot of, and you know, I mean, you you all know each other, you know, and whether the, it's a, from a competitive standpoint or just respect for each other and what you're doing, you know each other. And he spread the word that, hey, your record companies are screwing you, man, because you're actually in-house in-house art departments are actually overcharging you what outside exactly. 
would would and you're maybe not getting as good of a product, a no. final product. Right. Well, oh, wow. because I mean, you know, it, and, and by this time we were really, I mean, Pacific Ironier was known thanks to Alice and thanks to some of these other guys. That, Alice kept coming back. The stones never go back. If you notice, the stones never use anybody twice. Yeah. yeah. And that's that because they keep it fresh. They keep it different. You know, and they're really into that. Use that and, top, and again, no. like they still I, use yeah, the inspiration of the tongue. They always will. Yeah, I love this it. one. This one's uh, based. Uh, that that one is when Alice was uh, cleaning up, and he had all these demons that were poking at him. Um, and Heinrich Clay was a German illustrator that this illustration was fashioned after. And actually, I've seen uh, Alice walk out of the bus like that. I've I've definitely seen him. You know, in the in the morning sure. when we're before we're ready to golf, he can look like that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember going up. He was living in uh, Gracho's house. He had bought Gracho's house up in Mulholland, and we went up there, Drew and I, and we shot. I have all the scrap that we shot. Yeah, there's one of there's me and Alice, and that's one of the we probably did a whole roll of film, and then uh, Bill Garland did the illustration. Based on a Heinrich Clay, who was a famous German illustrator, he's the one that had alligators dancing with elephants and just all line art like that. And and again, we were always, we were always looking at other people's work, being influenced by it. If I have seventy three original pieces of Drew Struzan's work, he the first piece he gave me as a painting he did in college. Okay, it's an oil painting. And then if you took that one and put it on the left side and put all the other 72 originals ending with the welcome to my nightmare on the other end. And you, it was like a flip book where you could see the animation. You could see where he started out here and then we turned him on to Norman Rockwell. Cause he was a painter. Illustrators are whores. Okay. Illustrators are whores it in. because well, painters, uh, fine artists don't consider illustrators. They're whores because they will compromise their art for money. <laughs> Okay, and and Drew was not about that. But when he came to us, he needed to get exposed to those kind of things, and so we and and so he picked up a piece from Norman Rockwell. Then you go to the next thing, and you see that influence. And then there's Cole Phillips, and then you go to the next one, and there's Maxfield Parrish, and you go to the next one, and it's J.C. Leindecker. All that. This is a total J.C. Leindecker illustration. It yeah. is with the choppy little lines and stuff. J.C. Leindecker was the the illustrator for um, 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 the magazine. Um, oh, shit. Um, New, anyway. Not New Yorker. Uh, not no, not the New Yorker. It was uh, Saturday Evening Post. Okay. Saturday Evening Post. Before photography, yeah. J.C. Leindecker was the main illustrator. All He did all the covers. Then Norman Rockwell, who was a huge J.C. Leindecker fan, he would actually wait outside the corporate offices for J.C. Leindecker to pull up in his limousine and present his artwork because he was a huge fan. So It sounds very similar to what bands do and what yeah. artists do in a sense of where you sort of, you're a chameleon to what the times are and whatever the zeitgeist is, and then you kind of go with it. And it, it, I guess it goes back to that art imitating life. Well, yeah, and you that, make it your own. You add your, it's one thing to just emulate, to, to do it, reproduce it. It's another thing to make it yours. You know, that and that's what art is just like music. You look at what has been done, you let it influence you, take it in and you put it out the way you would put it out. And that's how it works. That's the when people I've had people tell me, oh, you know, 
I'm a creative person and I never get influenced by anything. Nobody bullshit. influences me. And that's total bullshit. bullshit. That is yeah. total bullshit. You're influenced by everything around you, by nature, by friends, by whatever. I, I'm constantly bombarded with everything around me. And, and when you're in that space, you're at your best because you can just, I mean, I, honestly, Ryan, when I first started, I would do 15 or 20 different ideas and it would take me weeks to do. Now I get an assignment and if it takes me longer than a few hours to come up with what it is, I'm shocked. It just, it, I'm at a point where it's just flowing. And, and yeah, this is the, that was the uh, scrap for Dada. Yep. You know, it. and, and uh, so you just, you, you know, you just get every, it, it all comes to you and you can either not pay attention to it because sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's something that touches you, that influences you that you don't even realize until later. You well, know, it's very cool to me that you still have this desire, this this drive to keep creating album covers and keep working and keep, you know, pushing forward, not just with album covers, but with also different types of work, different types of typography work, uh, corporate work as well. Um, speaking of corporate, I do have to get a little bit of our business in with sure. the In the Trenches podcast because sure. we have a fan of the week, which we do. And I know you have lots of fans. In fact, I was told you had a billion fans. No, and that's, uh, that's out of these billion fans, it's true. I want them to all support and come on to In the Trenches and be uh, weekly listeners. Well, I'm going to promote it, and I'm part Every of it. I signed up. Well, thank you very much. Well, every week we do have a fan of the week, and we would like to introduce this week's fan of the week. Vic, will you run that even though we can't? And that is right. This week's fan of the week is Matthias Holtzgren. Congratulations, Matthias. He's from the North Pole, just like I am, uh, and in helping out and supporting the podcast and doing so many great things for In the Trenches uh, since we've started the podcast. Thank you, Matthias. You are our fan of the week. And if you'd like to be a fan of the week, um, just, you know, like you complimented your team and uh, the team that you had together uh, over at Pacific and I, uh, I'd like to thank our team over at In the Trenches because we do have a very strong team. They make uh, the whole show better. They make uh, me better as a presenter, hopefully. And thank you for putting all the work in that you did this week. Federica and Vic Chalfant, Joey, and, uh, of course, yeah. RGA crew, and, of course, everybody that's in the live chat right now. You have a great team. They're very professional and very buttoned up. I was really impressed. Well, thank you very much. Like I said, I try not to go long, but you know what? When we start talking about album covers and things that have been influenced me since I've been listening to it, I got the headphones, I got the record. I'm, I, I just, I've spent hours and hours studying these liner notes. I was thinking again, because of Jesus Christ Superstar, Robert Stigwood, all the, did, did you design Sergeant Pepper's? No. Uh, see, I thought at one point you would have worked with the Beatles because I saw. I would have loved to work with the Beatles, no. Man, that was a Robert Stigwood production as well. Yeah, so, all right, all right. So that was one call. I'm, I'm, I'm not on. But you know what? It's not about me. Oh, it's Mark about, and Howard. Well, of course, there's the turtles. You've done yeah. that. Which Mark is, and Howard which is, were really great friends. You know, they they actually rented an office space from us at Pacific Ironier, uh, and uh, that's when they were the fluorescent the fluorescent Leech and Eddie. 
we did three albums for them rocksteady i mean it was they were great man and they loved to party you know they and they we did a, a promotion we had a client that had uh 27 bowling alleys in southern california and we did a rock and bowl uh promotion where kids could go in during the summertime because they bowling alleys had a real problem with getting people inside during the summer you know because you want to be outside so we ran this promotion called rock and bowl and you could come in bowl or not and enter your name into a contest to be drawn and bowl with your rock with your favorite rock star and we had mark and howard it took them about three months to acquire i mean an amazing an amazing lineup i mean kansas uh reo speedwagon alice cooper bernie toppin you know flo and eddie all these groups and movie stars lavar burton you know tv stars they got them all, all to come great to bowlers this. huh or yeah and well we raised uh, we raised five uh, fifty thousand dollars for the california special olympics that was part of it. The donation went to the California. And we had 3000 people in the parking lot, you know, That's amazing. where was it? Where was the bowling alley at? It was in, it was in, uh, it was in uh, Southern California. I'm trying to remember that it was uh, one of the cities in Southern California, the Tarzana or something like that. Yeah. Something there. like that. It was, a, it was right. their main, it was their main bowling alley, their flagship bowling alley. That was a long time ago, but we did a Frazetta type poster and, you know, we, it was great. I mean, we really, and I've got stills. I mean, I, I kicked myself in the ass because we didn't video it, but video wasn't real popular. Then it was film, you know? And, and so I have all these stills of all the, the, the kids that won and there were like 28 lanes and each group got a chance to bowl with their favorite rock star or tele or, uh, uh, so you, you could say uh, that you invented TV the term rock and bowl. Rock and bowl, yes. And then later on, one of the radio stations, it was K Rock or one of those, uh, top uh, K KLOS, yeah, something like that. They picked it up. They they did a rock and bowl thing, but we were the first ones to do that. Yeah, I love it. Well, you know what? We're talking Kingpin with the king of album artwork, (laughs) but it's not about about me right now because I I got one thing wrong because I I messed up on the old uh, Sergeant Peppers there. I thought for sure it was a shoe in Jesus Christ Superstar, Stigwood, BGS. I thought for sure you got had done it. But I think the Beatles probably had a lot to do with that. Perhaps George yeah. Martin, at least. Uh, yeah. Let's see what the people say. Let's see what the people hear. Let's let the people speak. What do you say, Vic? What do you say? This is a section of our show where we have uh, fans and supporters and uh, people that are genuinely interested in phoned in, uh, DM'd in, asked questions for you that want to find out about, um, you know, a little bit about more about what you do. It's from them. So this is from Federica. Um, her question is, what's the difference between creating an album cover in the 60s versus creating an album cover today? Well, I mean, basically, you brought it up, Ryan. I mean, it went from being 12 and 3 eighths down to a single little image that's shown on, you know, on uh, YouTube, you know, and I, or even a thumbnail or even a thumbnail. Yeah. A little <laughs> tiny thing. That's one. I think the other is that not that much importance is put on covers anymore because they're so small. You can't have, you know, every once in a while I, I did the uh, box set for Alice with the school desk, the big school desk. It had like 30 pieces of stuff in it, a yearbook and all that. That They're very rare. I mean, box sets became a big thing. You know, yeah, there's the sketches I did. That was a the one on the left there is a sketch that I did that they rejected. I have a ton of those. 
all these different things that, that I was constantly bombarding Alice and Shep with. Uh, the picture on the right is some of the sketches of the when we first got the box set idea. Is that the There's life these. and crimes of Alice Cooper, yeah? Yeah, uh-huh. And and it was called uh, we it was called um, uh, what was it called? It was called uh, I showed oh actually it was called uh, old times or something like that and then he oh uh, no school days it was called school days D A Z that was the working title of it that was the working title and it ended up being uh, that was the uh, that was the um, and then they changed it to old school because I remember when I showed this sketch to Alice, he was in a recording studio in Glendale and I showed him that sketch and he said, well, we changed the name of the <laughs> we changed the name to, to old school because that's what we are. We're old school. And the Apple sketch that you have needs part of it needs to be rotten because we're rotten. And so <laughs> that's how that evolved to the final big desk with the the final logo and stuff i love but, it with the big yeah. apple dreaming i love yeah, it yeah yeah you know i mean they uh so the the difference between the two now is well it's like sales too i mean used to be you do an album and you get you know a million sales now you do an album and you get a hundred thousand sales and it's copied by all their people that bought the original one so you know That's there's true. a big difference in records today and i, I think that because not over the, here though not in roxyville no because look we still we got we have your inspiration with the album, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. And then and then I realized that you know have, while we were talking about it, we did our box set, and it's kind of influenced by you because what we had done, the idea was, and actually it's a forward with Alice Cooper in it because you would like this interactiveness. Alice uh -huh. wrote a very nice forward to us and gave us his autograph. But what we did is we took my first four records. And uh, we put, we made them mini, like the same size as right. CDs, and right. we just put little album covers right. of what they would be. So right. this is a little bit Ernie Sheffaloo type <laughs> of uh, nod, because yeah. you know what? As far as a box set, not very many people are doing uh, as interactive as you had done, but we're trying. And thank yeah. you very oh, much, no. Vic. Wow, that's There's a shameless plug. I didn't want it to be that big, Vic. Thank you. <laughs> well, so, so, well, you know, I mean, uh, the box sets really sort of brought that back, the interactiveness of the album cover that was just a front and a back or a photograph in some type to being more pieces in it, neat little things. The box set we did for Alice, I think it had 30 pieces in it, you know, amazing, I mean, along with a right? yearbook, you know, and, and it took us about four months to put that together. You know, I mean, it was really, uh, it was quite a feat. And I was, you know, really glad that they came back to me with that. And I was hoping that I could do Detroit stories. And I had, uh, I had present, I put together a whole presentation with augmented reality where, Whoa. yeah, yeah, there's, right. there, there was an image where uh, augmented reality is really amazing. I'm doing a book and there's going to be a hundred pieces of that, of my pieces that are, I've got a, a firm in Canada that I'm working with on two other Very projects cool. that they, the guy has owns the pla the technology where you don't even need to have an app downloaded. You just point your phone at it and it animates, it pops up, you can get sound with it. And I had come up with a, a presentation that I showed to Bob Ezra and Bob was blown away with it, but you know, it didn't go any for, I showed it to Shep and, you know, it was never know. know. You never know. You know what? Now well, you, you got me on your side, definitely. And I'm, well, uh, I could it, it was one cool thing about the merchandise. You did his, his ability was 
all you needed to do was it recognized the image shape. And I had a thing where you're wearing Alice's T-shirt and an arm comes out, a skeleton arm came out of the shirt, reaches back in and pulls out a heart that's pounding right in front of you like it's right there. You know, and, and a lot of stuff like that. And it would be in the before the concert, after the concert, as you approach the, the facility, you just point your phone and all this stuff just animates. It's amazing. Mm, so, all right. Very heavy this this sounds way above my pay well, it's grade. The next interactive, right it's right the now. next interactive thing. Again, it's taking it beyond where it's gone and trying to make it bigger, better, more original, you know. So, I mean, well, there I'm you go. There, that's definitely some difference between yeah, designing, Bob's, Bob's designing album logo. cover artwork and yeah. Oh, yeah, I got a t-shirt like that. I think I gave uh, Vic a t-shirt of that uh, just recently. So I didn't know that you had designed that. Uh, yeah, so I, that actually, is a, definitely a, a difference between creating album cover artwork in the sixties and in today. Right. Well, that logo for Bob was originally called my own productions yep. and he changed it recently. He came back to me and said, Hey, you know, since I don't own the artwork, can you, can you, because one of the things that we were real adamant about was keeping the artwork, you know, and thank God to my partner at the time was he was because I was giving it away. I was, you know, we do something for this group where they want that. Oh, we give it to them. You know, it's you know, we did it for them. And and uh, so, you know, I got a good spanking for that. But thank God for that, because now I have over 350 original pieces of artwork from That's album good. covers and corporate work. I mean. All because That's of him. good. You you can tell that you you know what you, you're good in the heart there, you know Ernie, and and it shows. And you've you've put a lot of work, a lot of your heart. You put all your heart and soul into your career. So that's why. Thank you for spending the time that you have oh, with us God. in the trenches. And thanks for answering the questions from the people. There's one more from Kinga. And her question to you would be, what advice do you have for someone that is wanting to get into designing album artwork? Well. The first thing I would tell you is go get some law classes, go to a community college, a city college, or if you're in college, go get legal classes where you understand what it is that you're creating and who owns it and how they own it. Check because, out copyrights. Oh yeah. Copyrights, you know, trademark, all that stuff you need to be able to, because I, you know, I was in college for five and a half, four years, four and a half years. I, I never had, they never gave, told us that. You know, you get pushed out into the real world. And I mean, musicians the same way. You guys got to really know that you're covered with what you create because people will take it away from you. Yeah. Uh, really. You know? Well, sports guys get that these days. They didn't used yeah. to. And now sports guys get big education about business and all that yeah. type of stuff. Perhaps musicians should have that same sort of yeah. business well, education musicians before are, artists are, in general. Musicians are more protected than artists, you know graphic artists and designers i mean we i mean there was just a, a thing with that guy that that copied alice's album the welcome my nightmare thing and just sort of took it and did it and it isn't ours but they yeah that you know that and because it's a tribute he can get away with it you know uh, yeah. the beach uh, the um foo fighters did the same thing with dgs yeah there's my lettering all they did was change the d you know and oh. and so but there i have no protection i you know it wow. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So take some legal classes, understand what it is, and then just love what you do. And if, if people tell you, oh, you should do something else, if you really love it, you'll just keep doing it. Don't listen to what people say. It's all about what's in your heart. You know, and my heart has always been in my art ever since I was a kid. 
I, I, I love your heart I is do. in your art. That yeah. is our quote it of is. the day. I love it. Well, actually, there, there might be one more quote because that that's how we are going to go out. Um, before we actually do end the podcast today, I do want to uh, announce who's going to be on next week because I will be uh, traveling to the United States to uh, fingers crossed. Everything's good. We are starting an Alice Cooper tour again promoting all the albums that you have made artwork for for over the years ernie we'll be starting that tour next week but i'll be here next friday in the trenches with our guest from the band wolf mother andrew stockdale so there you go folks that is next week's guest uh you do not want to miss that and if you do not want to miss that you will hit that subscribe button right there um and you can well it's right under ernie over there somewhere there there it is yeah thank you very much and um like again, I don't normally go this long on a podcast, but we've had so much to talk about and there's still so much more. So at one point we need to have you back, but sure. if people can't wait for that and they need to know, they need to get their Ernie uh, Sheffaloo fix. Ernie fix. Yeah. yeah, the Ernie fix. What's the best way for them to reach you? What's the best way for them to get in touch with well, you? Well, I'm on Facebook uh, and then I have uh I have a merchandising site called Pacific Eye and Ear, and the and is spelled out, so it's Pacific Eye and Ear. And then yeah, I have links like, okay. and then I have a a, a site called uh, the Fine Art of Rock, and that's for the touring. I've I've had two museum shows. The best one was at the Smithsonian. I was there for eighteen months in Memphis, the Rock and Soul Museum. And then there's PacificEyeandEar.com. So okay. So let's get that link somewhere in the chat, folks. Put it up there, and we can put it up as a uh, PacificIoneer.com. Okay, there you go. Yeah, because rumor has it that you don't don't have an actual cell phone or you don't have a smartphone. I have a flip phone. A flip phone. All right, all right. Yeah. So don't call him on his flip phone. No. There it is, PacificEyeandEar.com. We are wrapping it up in just a little bit right now. But the way I'm going to close things – hold on one second. Um, The way we're going to wrap things up is we're going to say – what I ask all my guests is that how – if you can have any sort of life advice that you can pass on to our – Listeners, anything that's helped you throughout the years endure, uh, help you overcome, uh, what sort of advice would you give our listeners and that you could pass on? Um, In my case, it would be find someone that you can trust and love. I've been very blessed. My wife, Bonnie, and I have been together for 56 years and through good and bad. And believe me, there's been a bunch of both. You know, that's (laughs) what life has a tendency to do. And to have somebody that you can go through life with and share things with is the most important thing in the whole world and family, you know, and uh, that's it. I mean, just find somebody that, you know, a mate that shares and believes in you. Bonnie believes in me, but she's my harshest critic and my and my my wonderful wife. So that would be, you know, you know, that would be someone to trust and love. I love it. Well, guess what? The one that I trust and love has given me the hook or is giving me the hook because it's time for me to get out of here (laughs) and get some dinner and get my Friday night on. And I know it's all for you guys to get your Fridays on and your weekend on. But you know what? Promote the uh, podcast to all your friends and frenemies. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again if we have some time, Ernie, uh, in the future. And 
hopefully our paths cross again oh, in the will. wonderful world of rock. Of course they will. It's been a pleasure having you on, Ernie Sheffalo. Thank you. Um, thank again, you for thanks. the opportunity, and good luck on the tour. Well, thank if you, you so if much. You come to the, if you come to L.A., I'll definitely come and see you. We will see you at the Greek. We'll get them to okay. the Greek a little bit later in a couple months. But okay. uh, thanks to the whole team it. for pulling this episode together. Ernie, can't thank you enough for taking Ryan, the time. Everyone spending the time with us. Until yep. next time, you've been in the trenches. I'm Ryan Roxy. Enjoy the ride. It's comfortable here. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy.